Morning, everybody. Thank you. Welcome back for week two of Life Hacks, this series of messages in which we are attempting to crack the code on key areas of our life. And what we've done with this series is we are focusing on three very specific aspects of our lives. And the reason we chose these three areas is because with every one of them, just the slightest amount of change can make a huge difference. Just a little bit of tweak, a little bit of energy, a little bit of effort into making a change in these three areas can pay huge dividends down the road. Like last week, we looked at cracking the code in our connections, our relationships with each other, not only with just people in general, but specifically within the church family, our connections to each other, making the most out of those connections, increasing our engagement with those connections make a huge difference, not just in the quality of our life, but in the depth of our relationship with Jesus. Now today, we're going to look at everybody's favorite subject to talk about, especially in church, and that is money, right? I bet when you came in this morning, you saw your program and saw we were talking about finances, you were giddy with excitement, right? <laughs> Not, right? We don't like talking about money and finances, and especially don't like talking about it within church. In fact, over the last 10 years, surveys have consistently shown that unchurched people say one of the reasons they don't come to church is because they believe that the church is only interested in their money. That pastors just want to separate them from their billfold to get more money into the church coffers or into the pastor's pocket so he can live a blessed, prosperous life while they struggle to pay the bills. Well, I can't speak for all pastors in all churches, but I can tell you that is not true of Cedar Creek Church, and it is certainly not true of this pastor. In fact, I would say this. If you're a guest with us this morning, or you are brand new to this whole church thing, at the end of the service, we are going to pass around baskets to receive an offering. When the basket gets to you, don't give. Probably never thought you'd hear a pastor say that, right? But I say it. I mean, obviously you can if you want to. But I want you to understand, we don't want anything from you. But man, we would love to connect with you. We'd love to get to know you and walk with us together on that broken road back to Jesus. Reconciling your relationship with God. Because that is what we are all about as a church. Now for those of us who have been in church and we, we know what the Bible says about money and giving and all that stuff, even for those of us like that, this is a sensitive issue. We feel very personal about our money. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to talk to other people about it. We become defensive whenever the subject comes up. We deal with it and as much as we don't want to talk about money, church, we need to talk about money because our finances impacts every area of our lives. Of couples who divorce, 70% of divorcing couples say that money or fights about money or money issues was one of the leading causes of that divorce. Your finances affect your relationships. 
Your finances affect your sense of security. I was reading this week an article and they were talking about the government shutdown and the, the uh, government employees not getting paychecks. And, and part of that article, they said that the average American family are two missed paychecks away from a true financial crisis. It affects our lives. It affects our physical health. Money and many, money issues are one of the leading causes of stress and worry in our lives. It keeps us up at night. And by the way, that's true whether you got a lot or just a little. I guess if you got a lot of money, you're stressed out trying to figure out how to hang on to it. If you have very little money, you're stressed out about trying to figure out where you're going to get some from. But whatever your current financial situation, whatever emotions you're feeling this morning about this topic, here's my hope, here's my prayer that you would hear from God, that you would allow God to speak into your situation and circumstance to help you take at least one small step in the right direction of your finances so that you can truly experience his peace. Now let me be clear, the peace of God has nothing to do with your finances. You can't find God's peace from a full bank account or a 401k or a trust fund. You can't find God's peace in your finances, but your finances can get in the way of you experiencing God's peace. And I don't want that for my life, and I don't want that for your life either. So we're going to look at that this morning. But before we do, I just want to share some cool wins with you this morning. Two things that I'm super excited about because you're such a huge part of it. One of them is our Christmas clean water offering. You may remember during the month of December, we took up a special offering over and above our regular giving to provide the gift in this coming year of clean, safe water to people in our community and all around the world. And man, you respond. It blew me away. I got these figures yesterday. As of today, and we still got the rest of this month to go, but as of today, you guys have already given $79,156. Second highest water offering ever in the history of Cedar Creek Church. Less people giving more money for God's glory. And I'm, sto I'm stoked not only about that dollar amount, but I know what your generosity placed in the hands of a loving, merciful God who cares deeply. It's going to change lives all over the globe. And God's not done yet. You remember last month I shared with you a vision that God had given Pierre, a friend of ours, a pastor here in our church, to, to gather pastors in our community together for a time of prayer and fellowship and just encouragement for those pastors. We had that first one this past Thursday morning. We had pastors from almost every denomination, every race, from every size church gather. And not only did they gather and encourage one another, but they want to do this every other week for the foreseeable future. So thank you. Here's why that matters. Because when pastors are encouraged, the church gets healthier. And when the congregation is healthier and on fire, this community gets rocked to its core. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your prayers. Keep praying. God's got some stuff going on in 2019, right? All right. All right. We've, 
We've postponed talking about money long enough. All right, here we go. How do you crack the code on your finances? Four things I want to encourage you to consider. Number one, I think the first thing you got to do is recognize that God is the source. God is the source. God is the source of everything I have, everything I earn, everything I spend, everything I save. It all comes from God, and it all belongs to God. Now, let's just be real. That's a hard pill to swallow. Because it feels like I am the source of my income. I'm the one who went to work. I'm the one who punched the clock and put in the hours. I'm the one who lived frugally for so many years, putting money away when nobody else was, so that I could have what I need to survive in my retirement. It feels like it's something we've done. But the Bible's clear that everything we have comes from God, including our ability to earn money. Look at what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 8.18. But remember the Lord your God. Why? For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It all comes from God. And let me just tell you, until you get this, and I don't mean just intellectually, until you get this in your heart, you will always struggle financially, whether you have millions or whether you are scraping by day by day day and here's why here's why it's so important to understand this because if you see yourself as the source you will live with the pressure of trying to produce what you need and only God can do that but as you begin to see God as the source of all that you have you will begin to experience his peace because not only can he provide everything you need, he has promised to do it. Look at Philippians 4.19. And it says, and my God will meet many of your needs. Is that what it says? My, my God will meet most of your needs, right? What does it say? My God will meet what? All, all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. By the way, that birth, that promise is written in the context of finances. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the church at Philippi, and in part of that letter, he was thanking them for a financial contribution, an offering they had made, not to him, but to help support another church that he had helped start that was struggling financially. And in his thank you note to them, thank you for this generous gift, but never forget God is the source. And he will meet all your needs. See, we read that and we think, yes, God will meet all my spiritual needs. God will meet all my emotional needs. But God is saying, I will meet all your financial needs. Now, I know there are some of us saying, well, if God has promised to meet all my financial needs, he must be sleeping on the job. Because I got some unmet financial needs. Anybody here say amen? amen? Yeah, all of us do. Here's what I've discovered in my life. I can't speak for your life, but in my life, when I have an unmet financial need as a Christ follower, it usually means one of three things. If I have an unmet financial need, it usually means, first of all, that it's probably not a real need, that it's more of a want that feels like a need. If it's not that, then the second thing it usually is is a matter of timing. God's going to meet that need. He just hasn't met it yet and he wants to use that time of waiting to help me trust him more but the third thing and this is the one we don't like to hear about but if I have unmet financial needs sometimes it means 
that I am mismanaging what God has given me. That I am not using it in the right place. As a Christ follower, if I have an unmet financial need, I might need to examine because God has promised to give me everything I need. So maybe I'm not using it in the way God desires. And listen, I don't say that to discourage you. I'm not trying to beat you over the head with guilt. I just want you to understand it because I believe as you understand it, you will begin to experience the freedom and security of knowing that the God of the universe who has unlimited wealth, unlimited resources, cares about you and has promised to meet your needs. So how do you know if you really believe that? How do you know if you really have embraced that God is the source? Only one way, in giving. It is in being generous that you display a heart that recognizes that it all comes from God. Because if God is the supplier and God is a generous God, then you would want to reflect that by being generous with what he has given. That is why we take up an offering in our worship services. That's why we pass those baskets. That's why we give you an opportunity to give to things like the clean water offering. It's not just to keep the church lights on and pay the bills and the salaries. It's not even just about helping hurting people. It's about giving us an opportunity to express a heart of worship and giving back to God in recognition that it all came from Him in the first place. It was all his before he gave it to me, and he'll give it to somebody else long after I'm gone. That's why we give. That's why we give within the church. And one of the things that really excites me heading into the new year is this wonderful God-ordained opportunity to make giving easier for all of our church family. We found out about six months ago that the vendor who provides our online giving in the city that many of us use to communicate, well, they're taking all that away. And at first we thought, what? That's horrible. But you know how God does. He takes something bad and makes it better, brings something good out of it. We found another vendor who is going to not only be able to do what we've been doing, but actually to do it cheaper, less fees, more secure, and more different ways for people to give. Not just online giving, but text to give. We're going to launch the app, I think, next week. People will be able to write with their phone. And let me tell you, if we want the new generation to learn how to live out this principle through giving, we got to do something other than cash and checks because they don't carry them. Right? Those of you that have kids, they don't carry them. But this is opening up an opportunity for more people to give, not to put more money in the church budget, but for more people to live in the freedom of recognizing it all comes from God. Now listen, if you love the discipline of writing a check, putting cash in the envelope, putting in the basket, if that's how you express worship by giving back, by all means, we'll pass the baskets and all of our, so we'll continue to do that. But let me encourage you, if you struggle with this, with giving, this new app is really cool because you can set up recurring giving where you can just set it up same time every month or week or whatever that will actually help you develop this habit, this discipline in your life. And you know what? It will give us as leaders of the church a better idea so that we can dream and plan even bigger for God's vision for this community and for the world. It's exciting. It's not about the money. It is about 
worship. You want to crack the code on your finances, you got to start by recognizing God as the source. But it don't end there. You got to do a second thing, and that is you got to operate with honesty and integrity. When it comes to money and finances, you got to always be open and above board with what you're doing with the money and why. In fact, look at what the Bible says, Proverbs 16:11. It says, "The Lord wants honest balances and scales." All the weights are his work. Now, what does that mean? Well, in that culture, weights and balances and scales were the primary means that folks made financial transactions. These were the cash registers of the day. There's no you know, bank card, no cash register. It's all done with weights and balances. Here's the problem. There was virtually no oversight in this area of finances. There was no Jerusalem Department of Standardization of Weights and Measures. Basically what they had is three different size bags, little cloth bags. Small bag, medium bag, large bag. And those bags were supposed to be filled with sand, and that was supposed to be the standard weight, small, medium, and large. Here's the problem, not all sand weighs the same, right? You could wet sand and make it much more heavier. And nobody would be the wiser because the bag would look the same. Or you could take a rock or a pebble or something heavy, put it inside the sand, inside the bag. It looks the same on the outside. What I'm saying is it was very easy to cheat people in this day. And it's almost like everybody did it. It was just ingrained in the culture. People, when they would buy and sell things, just assumed each party was cheating. It was ingrained in the culture. And let me tell you, when it comes to finances, it is ingrained in our culture still today. We were not ripping each other off with jacked up scales and weights, but there are a lot of ways we sacrifice our integrity when it comes to finances. One of those ways is when we don't give a full day's work for a full day's pay. We come in later than we were supposed to. We take a long lunch. We leave a little bit early, but we get a full day's pay. Or we're there, we're at the desk for eight hours, but we spend four of those hours surfing Facebook or buying a boat or booking a vacation home somewhere, and we are cheating our employers. How about our taxes, right? Fudge just a little bit, and it's so easy to rationalize, right? It's so easy because the government's so corrupt, they're just wasting it. They're just going, you know, spending more than they got, so I'm just going to keep a little more for myself or how about this we misrepresent something that we're selling a car or a house and well if they don't ask I'm not going to tell them about that transmission issue that's about to go out well if they don't say anything I'm not going to tell them about the crack in that foundation and we rationalize that because we say let the buyer beware if they're stupid enough to buy a house or a car without checking everything that's on them because everybody does it and let me tell you I wish I could stand up here and tell you those examples are something I heard about other people doing or read in a book but those are things I have all personally participated in when it comes to finances and I'm not proud I'm ashamed to stand up here as your pastor and to tell you that I've had that lack of integrity with finances in my life. And I tell you that for two reasons. One, because I can't expect you to be honest if I'm not willing to be honest. 
And secondly, I want you to understand how easy it is, no matter who you are, how long you've been a Christ follower, no matter how much you desire to be a man or woman of integrity, it's so easy to rationalize because everybody's doing it. But as Christ followers, our standard is not the culture around us. Our standard is God's standard. In fact, look back up at that verse, Proverbs 16, 11. That last phrase, it says, all the weights are his work. What does that mean? That means God sets the standards. And we are to follow his standards with integrity. So how do we protect ourselves when it's so easy to rationalize? And it's so easy to get just swept away because everybody's doing it. How do we avoid the tendency to lose integrity in finances. There's only one way you can do this. Accountability. Accountability. Remember talking last week? One of the huge things about our connections to each other as believers is a willingness to love each other enough to hold each other accountable, to watch each other's back, to, to speak hard truths. And we need that in every area of our life, but especially in our finances because we would much prefer to hide what we're doing financially. And let me just tell you this, if you're not willing to talk about it with your husband or wife, if you're not willing to talk about it with your business partner or at least one other person, a close friend, if you're not willing to discuss your finances honestly with someone else that you trust, it is probably because you're not comfortable with what you're doing, which is a conviction. It probably means you don't feel good about it. When that happens, you need others. So let me ask you, who's watching your back? Who are you honest with about your finances? Because if you're going to crack the code on this thing, you've got to recognize that God is the source. God requires honesty, integrity. And then number three, this one's huge. You've got to focus on the long haul. When it comes to your finances, you've got to think long term. Most of our issues, most of our struggles with finances come from our short-term thinking. From focusing on the right here, right now. But let me tell you, when it comes to finances, there are no quick fixes. There are no get-rich-quick schemes. We don't get into these financial messes overnight, and we will not get out of them overnight. In fact, look at what the Bible says. Proverbs 21.5. I pulled this from the Living Bible paraphrase. I love how it says it. Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. Circle that phrase, steady plotting. Let me tell you something. When it comes to finances, the turtle beats the hare every time. Not because Aesop wrote it in a fable, but because God spoke it into existence through his word. But here's the good news about the long-term mindset. Whatever financial situation you're in, whatever struggle you have financially, whatever turnaround you need in your finances, if you will simply start doing one right thing, and keep doing that thing over and over for the long haul, you'll be amazed what it can do. It's called leveraging the power of time. Your greatest financial tool is not your income. Your greatest financial tool is your income over time. 
$40,000 a year for 30 years is $1.2 million. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's the power of time. You put a few dollars in a savings account every week, just a couple of bucks, over 15, 20 years, mix in the magic of compounding interest, you're going to have some money in the bank. You start chomping away at that debt and stop adding to it. Cut up the credit cards and stop adding to it. But if you'll just pay a little bit over the minimum and keep doing that over the long haul, you will be shocked at how big an elephant you can eat if you'll eat it one bite at a time over the long haul. The more long-term view you take in your finances, the more financial freedom you will experience. You know another reason why you need a long-haul view of your finances? Because most of our stupid financial decisions are made in a hurry, right? An impulse purchase or an impulse decision. Let me tell you something. If it's a good deal today, it'll be a good deal tomorrow. I think about those commercials to sell those Vegematics or whatever it is on TV, and they always tell you, if you're one of the first callers in the next five minutes, you'll get two Vegematics for the price of one. And then they put a countdown clock on the commercial. You've seen that? And you're like, whoa, i got to act now. i got to move. Here's the thing. I see the same commercial every day. It's still the same five minutes. It's always there. Impulse. Listen, never make a significant financial decision without taking the time to sleep on it and pray about it. If somebody's pressuring you to make that financial decision, let me tell you something. They're about them, not about you. Let me ask you this. As you're thinking about 2019, what's one positive financial step you can take for this coming year? Savings, debt, pay down, whatever it is. Whatever it is, just start doing it and leverage the power of time. And then finally, number four, the fourth thing we do to crack the code on our finances is you got to plan your spending and prioritize your savings. Plan your spending and prioritize your savings. Of all the things we've talked about, this is the most practical. This is the most, this is where the rubber meets the road to crack the code on your finances. Because yes, we are a people of faith. But that faith is not best expressed by going through life winging it. Our faith is best expressed by having a plan and trusting God to guide our steps. That's what the Bible says. We plan our ways. We should plan our ways. But ultimately, we trust God with the outcome. And that is true in every area of your life, but especially when it comes to your finances. Have a plan. Look at Proverbs 27. It says, know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches do not endure forever. What's he talking about? Well, in that day and age, your financial condition was found in your herds. There's no banks. There's no investing in real estate. You know, there's no play in the market. Your finances were tied up in the quantity and quality of your herd, your goats, your sheep, your camels. The more of those you had and the better condition those were, the better you off you were financially. And so Solomon is saying, pay attention to your finances. Know what you got and more importantly, care about where it's going. 
Be intentional about knowing what you have and planning where you want it to go. We have a word for that in our English language. I'll give you a hint. It starts with B. I'm talking about a what? Shout it out. There was very little enthusiasm in that. I'm going to give you another chance. What am I talking about? A budget. Right. Now we hear that word and we go, ooh, we freak out. Usually for one or two reasons. One or two reasons we are not on a budget. One is because we are intimidated by the idea. So we think about a budget as all these spreadsheets and complex mathematic formulas and some wizard behind the curtain. You've got to have all the smarts or you've got to hire a CPA. So we're intimidated by or we're afraid of it because we think it will cramp our styles. Right? I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I'm free. The sun has set me free. I'm a follower of Jesus. I get to do whatever I want to with my money. God has blessed me. I'm going to use it the way I want to. And I listen, I, believe me, I've lived that life. And I know it may feel fun and free for a while, but it will lead you to a prison that you don't want to be in. I remember Terry and I lived without a budget in our marriage 20 years. Not because she didn't want one, because I was a free spirit and ain't nobody going to hold me down. But finally, because of my love for her and seeing what the insecurity in our finances was doing to her and doing to our relationship, and God help us what it was doing to our children, we sat down to make a budget. And you know what we did? This ain't rocket science. We took a sheet of notebook paper, drew a line down the middle. On the left side, we said, this is the money coming in. This is what we get every month. And then on the other side, we just wrote down our bills. We got to pay the mortgage, got to pay this, got to buy groceries, got to make car insurance. We wrote all that down. I'm telling you, we wrote it down, a financial miracle occurred. Right? We added up what we made, and we added up what we paid, and we had money left over. We made more than we actually had expenses. I did the math three times because I said every month we don't have money at the end. How is that possible? Then we started looking through our checkbook and our financial records. We realized we were blowing money on stuff we don't even remember buying. We were just wasting the impulse buying. We, stuff on this list that we had spent money on, it wasn't in the house six months. We were hauling off to Goodwill of the junkyard. But all of a sudden, when we wrote it down, we could see, man, we've got more than what we need. Now we can save. Now we can start paying off debt. See, that's the thing about a budget. When you have one, it allows you to start telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. When you have a budget, you'll end up with more money than you do month. You need a budget. You also need to make sure in that budget that saving money is a priority. In fact, you know what the Bible says? That your IQ can be seen in your savings account. Those aren't my words. Those are God's words. Look at Proverbs 21, 20. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Why is it foolish not to save money? Here's why. Because only a fool doesn't plan for what is inevitable. And let me tell you, financial emergencies are inevitable, right? If you've never had a financial emergency, that either means you are a trust fund baby and you got unlimited supply, or you just ain't lived long enough and one is coming. It's not a surprise that you have financial emergency. Sometimes you're surprised by which car tears up or which kid needs braces, but you're never surprised that you have financial emergencies. They are a part of life. In fact, that is why we refer to a savings account as an emergency fund. 
because that is what it's for. It's not storing up treasures on earth for ourselves to do what we want to do. It's about planning for what we know is inevitable. And unfortunately, as Americans, we stink at savings. We are the worst in saving money of any developed country in the world. The average European saves 15% and lives on 85. The average Japanese saves 25% of their income and lives on 75%. The average American spends 126% of what they make. So not only do we not have a savings account, but we are spending more than we make and we are crushed by our debt. And let me tell you, it is destroying marriages. It is destroying homes. It is destroying the next generation. It is destroying our lives. And let me tell you, if you are being overwhelmed by debt and feel like you cannot get out of the hole, let me tell you, there's great news for you. Part of being connected to the family of God is that we can come alongside you and walk with you to start implementing baby steps in your finances that will end up radically transforming your financial life, which will radically transform your relationships, your health, your view on life, and finally give you some peace instead of all this pain. We do that through a class called Financial Peace University. We're offering those classes at all of our campuses at the end of this month. And I want to encourage you, if this is an issue with you, why don't you sign up and take one of those classes? On the little tear-off card you got on the bottom of your program, there's a place for you to check, interested in FPU. And just fill out a contact on the other side. We'll get with you. Now, let me be up front with you. There is a cost for the materials of this class. There is no cost for the class itself. We don't charge anything, anybody to take the class, but we don't control the materials. We didn't create them. We have to purchase those. We ask that you pay the church back for those. And I don't want you to have sticker shock, but I want you to understand it will be an investment. And if this would be a struggle, if purchasing the materials up front would be a struggle, we'll walk with you. We'll help you do that. And I'll make you this guarantee. If you'll sign up and take Financial Peace University, if you'll invest in buying the materials, and if you'll stay in and put these principles in practice, if you'll do this for the full nine weeks, if you get to the end of the class and you don't feel the materials were worth it, we'll buy it back from you. No risk. That's how strongly we believe in this. You know why? Because we at Cedar Creek Church have seen hundreds and hundreds of families experience a dramatic financial turnaround not because they got a job and have more money more money ain't the issue you're going to take more money and keep doing the same problems with it you need a change of strategy and we want to help you do that in the new year now as i close this morning this is really important stay with me don't check out yet i want to make sure you understand the heart behind all of these things we're talking about yes these four things we've looked at they're practical Yes, they are based on biblical wisdom, but they are not just about improving the financial condition of your life. They are about changing the condition of your heart. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And that not only meant that you can see what you really care about by what you spend your money on, it also means that the way you manage finances will mold and shape your heart 
to be more like God's heart. Because how we manage money is a reflection of who we believe God is and how we give him glory. And I want that in my finances and in every area of my life. Let's pray together. I know, Father, some here are deeply struggling with this issue. That this is very painful stuff. These aren't just silly little illustrations. This isn't just a sermon. This is peeling a scab off of a deep, painful cancer that has followed them for years. And I'm convinced you brought them here today not for guilt or shame or for them to focus on the past and their failures. You brought them here to give hope because you are the God of hope. You are the God of mercy and grace. And so, Father, I pray for those who are struggling in this area this morning that they would have the courage to take that next step to honoring you in this area of their lives. I also know, Father, there are many of us like me who have known these principles and applied them for years, but it's so easy to start slipping. It's so easy to go back to the old habits that dig the holes we end up in. So I pray that you would use your words, your truth, your power, your spirit to recommit all of us, whatever our financial situation, that all of us would take one step towards honoring you with what you have so richly blessed us with. Father, move in our hearts. Move among your people. In Jesus' name, amen.